here's the thing. As women, we've been told that period pain's normal. Period pain's not normal, it's just common. Right. If you had a pain in your penis at the same time every month, you'd go and do something about it. Right? I would definitely do something about it. Yeah, would not. Yeah. Just go, oh, here we are again, another month of penis yeah, pain. Right. Like, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> What the research suggests is that the longer you can wait to use hormonal contraceptives, the better your hormones will be long term. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, my sex ed classes, they were so bad. I Mine didn't consisted know of a condom between. and a banana and uh, right. a demonstration and, and that was it. Teenagers should be using protection, not contraception that's synthetic because STDs are a massive problem for not just teenagers, for all of us. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business. But we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to unstoppable this is her second appearance although it might appear like her first we were hacked by russia china possibly iran uh, to corrupt the original file because uh, it was that good. Nat, fantastic to have you back to Unstoppable. Thanks for being back. Kerwin, thank you so much for having me back. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Now, as I, was, as I was saying to you before, like uh, we filmed our first podcast. It's got to be 18 months ago now. It's, I know it's more than a year ago. You know Is that what? right? I looked it up. When, I looked it up today. When it was, was it? nearly two years ago. <gasps> we wow. And um, for those of you playing at home, you may not know this, but we uh, we filmed, I think it was about, gosh, I think it was about 50 or 60 podcasts. And then um, we had this fancy uh, service system that was apparently uh, unpenetrable, impenetrable and yeah, fail safe. Anyway, the whole fucking thing crashed. 16 drives crashed simultaneously. Nothing backed anything up. And we lost 42 fucking, sorry, 42 very delicate podcast and yours was one of them. And so it's, it's only taken us this long to get you back on. So it's great to have you here. Now, uh, whenever I look at, um, and I ask every guest this question, so it's not going to be a surprise, but whenever I look at um, a pedigree like yours with the experience that you've got, you know, you're a doctor of Chinese medicine, acupuncturist, author, speaker, you know, fertility expert, you've got so many um, strings that you can hold a hat on when you're at a barbecue and people don't know who you are and they say, so what do you do, Natalie? Uh, or Nat, I should say. How, how do you answer that question without, you know, and, and look, the most obvious response is it depends who's asking, but let's say it's someone that you actually want to make a good impression on. What do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I, tell, I always say I help women and especially young women understand their hormones simply so that they can make good choices and end up with long-term health. And, and then the conversation goes from there. How do you do that? What do you do? But I think um, I, 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 I don't love all of the titles because yeah. it's, it's an evolution, right? It's just part of it. And um, I just love nothing more than helping women, especially understand their bodies better. And 
I think that's one area that I think a lot of women don't get a lot of support in is in the area of understanding how to take care of their body, especially when there is hormonal intervention. And hormonal intervention seems to be almost like, um, you know, something that's expected of young women. And once they reach a certain age, it's just expected that there's going to be some form of hormonal intervention. Um, but oftentimes they're completely oblivious to the fact that the consequences could be many and, and varied and, and actually in some cases be lifelong. That's right. Absolutely. And this is the conversation we're not having. Yeah. And it's one thing to use hormones for contraception. Yeah. That, you know, you make a form informed choice. That's the best choice for you. Perfect. But when we're using it to treat a problem it can't treat, and especially at a really young age, that becomes a really big problem. And what we know, and I think what I'm so passionate about, especially mums understanding, because we're the ones making choices for our younger daughters, especially when they first might have issues, is that the younger you use hormonal birth control especially, it it basically flatlines or halts your hormones at that point in time. If you're 14 and your hormones don't get to mature, then that's a really big problem. Wow. So what the research suggests is that the longer you can wait to use hormonal contraceptives, the better your hormones will be long-term. But if you're 14 and you start taking the pill and you come off the pill at 28, you are hormonally as mature as the 14-year-old self that you were because that's the time that you actually halted or flatlined your hormones. Yeah, wow. And this is what I don't think we understand. Like I said, I'm all about informed choices, contraception, if that's what you choose. But when we start to choose it for a solution, it's a big problem long-term. It might be okay short-term, but long-term it's a problem. Contraception is obviously a big one for a whole range of reasons, especially with, um, with, um, you know, with teenage girls and also teenage boys as well. But I'm curious to know, how did you end up playing in this field? Like, um, you know, it's, it's, it seems to me that, you know, you've got an incredible, an incredible breadth of experience, but how did you end up landing on hormones? I did. I so did not want to treat <laughs> hormones. Let me tell you, I, in fact, I remember one day saying, do you know what? I would rather do anything else, but hormonal women all day long. Look, someone, I'm going to ask a question like, cause it seems to me like, unless you're getting paid danger money, it's a big ask. <laughs> right. But you know what? So I've been in this space for 15 years or so. And originally women were coming, they wanted answers because nobody seemed to have answers for them. And I didn't know what to do with them, truthfully. Their doctor didn't know what to do with them. And so it eventually led me on a path where I needed to get curious as well. I was like, okay, let's go, let's learn. I never learnt any of this throughout all of my years of study and I studied for a really long time. Um, but it, it, what we were seeing are modern day symptoms as a result of our modern day living stuff we were never taught, stuff we never understood. And now we do 15 years on. So I just got really curious and all of a sudden I got really busy really quickly. And again, not through any choice, just because I was trying to do or fill the gaps and answer the questions that these women weren't getting answers for. Um, and so that really led down that fertility track really quickly. We started getting a lot of women wanting help with their fertility, wanting to have babies, and that was fun. And I still do a lot of that today. But what I realized is if we could fix it before it was broken and we could really empower young women to understand their body, 
we wouldn't be in this current epidemic when it comes to fertility or infertility, I should say, and other hormonal problems, other illnesses that we see young women with PCOS or endometriosis or whatever it might be, we can actually treat this from the beginning, not halfway down the track when things are anything we know that we leave untreated for a long period of time becomes more difficult to treat. So really helping young women understand their bodies. I was like, this is how we change the face of women's health long term, not just, you know, it's not a temporary fix. It's a long term solution. But I don't know about you, but when I was um, a teenager, my sex ed classes so didn't cut the mustard. That was so bad. I Mine consisted of a condom and a banana and uh, right. a demonstration and, and that was it. Okay. And also, if you had sex, you were going to fall pregnant. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much how it went. Yep. You have sex, you get pregnant. Um, I, there'll be many women that can now tell you that it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it's easy, yeah. but there's many yeah, that yeah. it's not. <laughs> and so I think really giving women or young women this information is so important and, and just having this evolution of a conversation. And yep. I don't actually think it even starts at high school. It starts when they're little and they're asking the questions. But we are so disconnected, especially our generation, because that's what we were taught. And, you know, even I remember when my children were younger, they would ask the question and you kind of go, oh, gosh, they're asking where did I come from? You know, go and ask your dad or go and ask someone else. Or the stork bought you or the doctor put you in there. You know, all of these random untrue things. And it wasn't until I started doing more work in this space, I was like, this is an organic conversation that starts when they're little and it just continues age appropriate forever. And if we're having that conversation, it's not this bombshell that's dropped on you when you're 13 or 14. It's just part of what is no different to blowing your nose or brushing your teeth or whatever it is, you know. So I really want to open up parents mind to being able to continue to have these conversations to not be afraid the difference is you and I have had experiences in our lives when it comes to our sexual health and we have emotions attached to that but when you speak to a child and they say mum where did I come from and you say oh well dad's got sperm mum's got eggs and they get together and that's conception and that's how a baby's made chances are your four or five year old just looks at you and goes oh okay and walks off they don't know any better and it's just age appropriate. You're not giving them the full-blown rundown of mm. your bedroom session, mm. but you are at least being honest and truthful and continuing continuing to explain it. And so I think that's important for men, men and women equally and, and taking charge of that starts at a really young age. So did you start having more of a focus on younger women as a result of all the... Um older women that were coming through with the fertility issues and then you were able to trace it trace it back in some cases to uh an immaturity of the hormonal system is that is that how this kind of came to yeah. be absolutely absolutely but i again and we were talking just before we started treating young women's health isn't an easy area no. having teenagers in, in the office is this is something that I never really didn't really think it through, actually. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> <I did>. actually <laughs> it's like you've got to really win their trust and 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 more so than a you know a more mature young woman. Um, you've really, really got to win their trust over. But once you do, you can have these really great conversations with them. And it's really lovely to do that. But absolutely that's how that came to be. I was seeing 30 and 40-year-old women 
who didn't have a clue about how their body worked, didn't even know that they needed to ovulate to fall pregnant. And so they were embarrassed. They were saying to me, Matt, I'm so I'm so sorry, but I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, you kind of need the 101 if you want to have a baby or the 101 if you don't want to have a baby. Yeah. And and that definitely came from there. So when you talk about conditions that oftentimes, you know, women are prescribed contraception for most, and I guess it's, I guess most men would assume, depending on their, their exposure to their partner and, and, and maybe their, their daughter if they've got one, would assume that most girls get put on, you know, the pill at the age of 13 because they're going into puberty and they just want to make sure that their daughter's not going or their daughter's not going to get knocked up but from what you're saying there's a whole range of other um symptoms that present that people just go well just take the pill and that should sort it out and i've even heard women talking about this and i guess when i was younger it wasn't so weird but now when i hear people talking about it it's almost irrational that people in some cases will take the pill um to be able to you know determine when they get their period so that they can determine how they live their life from a holiday perspective or from a dating perspective but what are some of it's, these it's, conditions it's that people are saying? Yeah, well, it's a bit crazy because, you know. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, right. So Totally. I see, you know, I have mums come in and say, what do I do? The, the, all the girls are being told that school camp and go on the pill so you don't get your period whilst you're on school camp. I get it. No one wants their period on school camp. No one, most teenagers don't want it at all. But, again, that becomes back to this conversation of not hating on your body. If you have symptoms that aren't great, period pain, acne, um, PMS, headaches, uh, heavy bleeding, um, missing periods, like there's so many different ways that hormonal imbalances show up. These are all signs that your body is trying to tell you something's not right. right. Here's the thing. As women, we've been told that period pain's normal. Period pain's not normal. It's just common. Not to be rude, but let's go for it. Play. If you had a pain in your penis at the same time every month, you go and do something about it. Right. I would definitely do something about it. Yeah. Why not? yeah. Just go, oh, here we are again, another month of penis yeah, pain. Right. Like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> you could be a pain in the yeah, you know, anyway. anyway. Um but it's true, but we've accepted that it's normal to have period pain. Yeah. And I know even my mum would say to me, I'm sorry, I know it sucks to be a woman. Like it really isn't fair, is it? If she had have known that that wasn't normal as well, she would have done something about it, no doubt. So it's just another clue that your body is in some type of imbalance and your hormones aren't as hard as you might think to fix. And that's what comes back to when you ask me, what do I do? I want to help you understand it simply because it's not that hard, mm. but we either don't have the right information or we fear our symptoms as being something diabolically wrong or we just mm. ignore it. And so having the clues and, and really being able to look in and get very curious about, oh, what are my symptoms actually telling me? Your body's always responding to whatever environment you put it in. And so if you can work out how to tinker the environment, then you can work out how to change the response that your body's having to that. Yes, okay, we look at our genes and we're, we're blessed or whatever you want to call it from our parents. But it doesn't mean that it has to play out that way. I always say to patients, if you come to me and you have PCOS or endometriosis or period pain or headaches or acne or whatever it might be, you've got a whole lot of switches almost that are being flicked on in your body. And what we need to do is come in and work out how can we flick some of those off so that your body's not then responding in that way and we can show it a different way to actually respond. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, it's a, it's not just your hormones. This goes for anything that's showing up for you. Yeah, right. I guess the problem isn't just with the individual or the parents. Is it fair to say that there might also be a missing link in the medical system as well? Because, you know, you, you do hear many stories um, from parents who, you know, their daughters present with some kind of a symptom. They've got period pain, they've got acne, you know, um, or they're going to a school camp and they go, go to the doctor. In most cases, let's remove the school camp, but they've got some they've got some symptom that they're presenting with. Do you find that the, the, the overwhelming consensus of most GPs is just to go, oh, well, look, you know, she's entering that stage of life. Let's just throw her on the pill and let's just see how she responds to that without actually really looking beyond the symptoms themselves. I think you've just nailed that's the problem. Right. Your GP is not your gynecologist, mm. but is your first point of call. And that's a problem because that's not their job. You know, if you've got some type of hormone imbalance, you really need to have your hormones tested and looked at to work out what the problem is before just using the pill to treat it. I would want to know, and I would want my daughter to know, if she has some type of imbalance, what is the imbalance? Do you have too much estrogen? Do you have too much testosterone? Do you not have enough progesterone? These are all clues as to how you can fix the problem, but we don't investigate because our GP's job is a first line of call and they're often the ones that are prescribing the pill. If you find yourself a good gynecologist, and there are plenty out there, that's really who should be prescribing any hormones because that's their specialist area. Mm. And so I think that's where the problem lies. And and we, it's not your GP's fault either. They don't have 45 minutes to spend with you. I sit with patients for an hour and a half for their initial consultation. That's the way my business is structured because I want you to understand what you need to do. And really, when it comes to fixing your hormones, it's not one thing that you do. It's the small things every day mm. that you do. It's not what you do even when you come in here. It's what you do when you leave here that actually adds up to, to allowing your body to change. So I think you're spot on there. It's not your doctor's fault. They're giving you the best they can with the tools that they've got, but the tools that they have don't actually fix the problem. If it's something like period pain, I can understand. Let's get some relief. Let's make you feel better. But if you're going to use the pill for that, how can we start to fix the imbalance in the background all the while so that we can then transition you off? Because if you don't need to be on it, you don't want to be on any medication that you don't need to be on, mm. or you want to be on the lowest to no dose of anything with no symptoms. Sometimes, you know, sometimes pharmaceuticals can be of use. I'm not saying don't take them. That would be dangerous for many people. But ask yourself why you're taking it and what's your body actually telling you? Because I am guarantee you, almost 100% of time, you can improve your body no matter what, no matter what. And so that's what we need to look at doing. And I think. It makes so sense when you have this conversation that we're now experiencing generational issues of fertility um, when it comes to women, because we're, you know, we're, we're into the generational um, consumption of, of, of these pharmaceuticals. But I guess when you look at it for, for, you know, fit for purpose, what do you do as a mother or as a father or even as a young, you know, a young woman who's developing and growing and going, okay, I am becoming a little bit more sexually um, aware. I am becoming a little bit more potentially sexually active, but I don't want to stunt the maturation of my hormones. I want to blossom into a proper hormonal young teenager like everyone else should. But at the same time, we as parents understand and maybe some of the kids maybe understand when they're a little bit, when they've got their head on straight, that their hormones don't necessarily facilitate, you know, really good decision-making processes, especially when they're, you know, if there's alcohol involved, if there's peer pressure involved, if there's heightened emotions involved, 
And so when it comes to practicing safe sex, that's not always, you know, the, the, the default response of, you know, doing it effectively. And it just seems to be, well, we'll just hit the easy button and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll make it chemical and that just fixes everything. What is your answer to that age old problem? Yeah. First of all, I think everyone needs to understand their their body. So their menstrual cycle. What is it? Is it regular? When are you fertile? When are you not? It's actually not that hard. And it blows my mind that we make it so hard. I have two babies. They were conceived the months that we tried to conceive them. I don't want any more. It's been eight years since I've had a child. And trust me, the only way I'll be having another child is in the exact instance that you said. Some completely drunken night that I was oblivious to what was going on but you'd have to have me pretty oblivious to not know so the thing is I think that that's the first thing now that's not necessarily where it stops but at least allow us to understand our bodies properly understand our fertility that's a lifelong privilege to be able to understand that it's a skill you're going to use forever and like I said once you know it's not that hard you can't not know so I think that's really important to begin with and then my biggest, biggest concern, and I'm just going to move into the sunlight here. <laughs> My biggest concern is that teenagers should be using protection, not contraception that's synthetic, because STDs are a massive problem for mm. not just teenagers, for all of us, and, and especially for fertility. Now, I get it that a teenager doesn't care about their fertility. They don't care about, they care about not falling pregnant. They don't care about falling pregnant. But I really, really want to say to parents that the pill, I think, is a problem for teenagers when it comes to contraception. You've got to rely on them to take it at the same time every day. And I don't know, maybe they are, maybe they're not, I'm not sure. But it's definitely not protecting them against other problems like STDs. So regardless of whether you're on the pill or not for contraception, you still need to be using barrier methods like a condom to keep them safe and healthy. And I think also... The other side of this is I think young men need to understand more about women and fertility as well. And, and that's another conversation that we're not having. The, the weight of this really lies mm. on the female. And I think mm. that's where the problem lies. It's it's fun for a, a teenage boy, not fun, but it's very, I don't know, I remember when we were growing up and family friends' sons were going through puberty and, you know, we would laugh about it. They, the parents would sit at the table and talk about it and say, oh, you know what, I told him to take himself to the bedroom and sort himself out and before he came back out here again and everyone have a bit of a giggle. But when it comes to young women and fertility and contraception, it's a very different conversation. It gets very heavy very quickly and I don't think it needs to. I think that this needs to be a responsibility collectively, not just of the female, but of the male as well. So more of this conversation is actually how we change this, I think. And if you so choose that the pill is right for your daughter, and again, it's what's right for you, it's just making an informed choice, then look at all the things that you can do at the same time to support her health. Any medication has its way with your gut, your liver, your vitamin and mineral stores. So many different things are impacted by that. And I really look forward to the day where we go to our doctor and they say, you know what, Nat, I think the best option is the pill, but hey, we're going to get you on a multivitamin, multimineral, fish oil, whatever else we need to do. It's not going to be quite as good, 
as not taking it at all when it comes to preserving your actual own health, but it's better than nothing at all. And at least that's still a proactive step, I think, in the right direction. It doesn't change the fact that it will alter your hormones. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, we might not see them hormonally mature like we would want to, but you still made that choice based on information that you have that you didn't have before. Now, when we look at history and historically speaking, was there such a population um, control issue that uh, contraception was actually needed or was it actually introduced out of convenience? And the reason I ask that because, you know, we've been doing this for thousands of years now, um, women equally as many. And I'm going to assume, you know, especially what I know of a woman's body now, and I'm not even a woman, but I know I, 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 I've, 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 I've had those conversations. It appears to me that for the most part, women have this internal understanding of their own intelligence that enables them to navigate contraception in most cases pretty darn well. And I've got, you know, direct experience from a number of relationships over the last 10 years, similar to yourself. We decided to fall pregnant when we decided to fall pregnant. It was on the night that I think it was actually on the night that we actually decided to try. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been in a number of relationships where we have used natural methods of contraception and we've done it very successfully, you know, without there being any kind of um, anyone slipping past, any, any slipping through to the goalie. But I am curious if this, <laughs> sorry, if this this intervention is more of less of a, of a requirement and more of a, a panacea towards convenience uh, that is being pushed by an industry that isn't really interested in health, it's just interested in profits. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you can't, like I said before, you can't not know when you understand your menstrual cycle, when you know when you're fertile and you know when you're not, and you're only fertile for a few days. So it seems madness to me to flatline your hormones 28 days out of your cycle or every day of the year when there's probably only 24 to 36 days out of the whole year that you're actually fertile. But you've got to know this. And this is where this empowerment comes again. Teaching young women to understand their body is the game changer here. Mm. And and we see it as prehistoric. If you go to your doctor and you say, oh, no, I actually know when I'm fertile and when I'm not. Unfortunately, Many doctors will say, oh, come on, don't be ridiculous. You don't want children like that. You know, anything can happen. Not here. I'm, I'm in charge of what happens here. I know exactly. And, and I get pretty upset when someone tries to tell me that I don't know what my body is telling me. <laughs> yeah, right. that, that's ridiculous. How dare someone else try and tell me that I don't know? I even know when I had children, it's, it's common for women to be prescribed the mini pill at six weeks postpartum. That's going straight through your breast milk. It's going everywhere in your body. And I remember having that conversation with my my doctor at the time and them looking down on me like, oh, well, you'll be back pregnant in no time. And I'm like, "Mm -mm, no way. I understand my body and I've been doing that for a really long time. And that's what I think we miss out on. If we are taking the contraceptive pill in our teen years, we're missing out on body wisdom. And body wisdom is, I think, the biggest gift. And do you think part of that loss of body wisdom is is coming as a result of that converse, some of these conversations not being had to introduce them to those parts of themselves that they can become aware of and then start to tune into? And I guess that leads me to the question of how, how do you start that conversation? And obviously, we, we always refer to age-appropriate. And so, you know, um, when we consider what's age-appropriate and this conversation – when is age appropriate to start this conversation and how would you introduce it and how would that escalate over time? Well, that's what I was saying before. You know, it's so important to 
answer the questions when they're asked and answer them truthfully when they're asked. And it becomes this conversation that is an evolution. And it's been that. I've loved, I've loved doing this with my daughter. She's now 12. And it has been this, you know, each time she's come to me, she's learned a little bit more. So initially, you know, mum has eggs, dad has sperm. She looked at me weird like you've got 12 dozen sitting in there somewhere like in the fridge. And I'm like, no, they don't look like that. But I can understand that's what it sounds like. Then we started talking about, well, the sperm and the egg need to meet up. Then we started talking about, you know, two or three years later, she started asking questions about her period. And so then we got to have the conversation about, well, that egg actually comes away once a month. And if that's not fertilized with the sperm, then blah, 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 blah. And it's just been this ongoing conversation that she's led, not me. So it's not actually when is, you know, it's not an expiration date. It's not like, well, you turn 13 tomorrow, so let's have this conversation. It's it's appropriate for what she's ready to hear when she's ready to hear it. Mm. And that's, you know, so beautiful. And I feel so privileged to be able to guide her. I'll tell you what, not so long ago, she came home from school and she stood in the backyard and said to me, mum, I want to talk to you. I've got a problem. And I said, oh, here we go. What's wrong? She said, it's just one word, period. I said, you got your period. She goes, no, we were talking about it at school today. And I said, oh, you were talking about it with your friends at school. She goes, no, the teachers pulled us all in. And I said, oh, wow, I didn't know about this. And that I wasn't too impressed about because this is what I do for work. And so I said to her, oh, what happened? And she said, oh, well, the teachers pulled us in and said to us that we're all going to get our periods within the next year or so. Now, it's probably going to be really painful and we're going to be moody and it's not going to be that great. And she said, Mum, now I'm really worried because I didn't realise that it was going to be so bad. And I said to her, sweetie, it's not going to be bad. I promise you and I'm really sorry that that's the conversation that you've had. But if it's bad, I will fix it because that's what I do for work. So you don't have to worry. But the fear of God was put into however many, 50-something girls all together that they're now anticipating they're going to get a period and it's going to be awful. And that that memory stays with you mm. as, a, as a child. You've not evolved enough to understand. And so we have to be really careful as mothers as the information, like anything, you know, if you're constantly talking about you're overweight and you need to lose weight, children hear that. If you're constantly talking about your awful periods, children hear that why would you want something every month that's awful you wouldn't um and but again your body's just talking to you it's time for you to listen to what that might be and to make the necessary changes according to the signs and symptoms you're being presented with are you finding that some of these conversations are taking place now at a younger and younger ages just because of the way information is 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 flying around like i read a um uh, a brief this morning that was saying that there's now an influx in you know certain countries around the world of 11 and 12 year olds calling helplines with porn addiction or early signs of porn addiction as an example um have you noticed you've obviously been in this field for for quite a while now um have you noticed that the that the the, the, the that we're winding back the age demographic of the conversation and i'm not just talking about the the sex conversation i'm talking about the fertility conversation as well because they they do go hand in hand obviously Yeah, absolutely. When we put out Beautiful You, which is my latest book that talks all about this, we surveyed mothers and daughters. And we asked mothers, were they, first of all, were they satisfied with the education that their daughters were getting at school around their sexual and reproductive health? And 80% of mothers said no, they were not satisfied with what their daughters were, what their daughters were being taught. 
We also then ask the question to the daughter, where are you getting your information from? And over 60% were Googling for answers. And this is where I think we fall into the slippery slope of finding ourselves on some pornographic website that demonstrates what my first sexual encounter is going to look like and then actually being presented with my first sexual encounter. It looks nothing like what it did on the internet and all of a sudden that sets up another whole set of circumstances that don't play out well. So, you know, there is a disconnect definitely. Children do have access to more than ever and this is, again, why it's so important that we have these conversations ourselves and that our children feel confident and comfortable to come to us and ask us. Again, not all of us feel great talking about it either and that's another reason why I wrote Beautiful You. It's like, well, if you feel a bit funny about it, here's a book to get the conversation going and maybe remove some of that embarrassment. I don't know about you, but I always want to be connected to my children and I want them to ask me first. And that's why I was so proud of Livy that Mm. day for coming and asking me straight after that happened at school. I felt like at least I'm doing something right here. She still feels, you know, able to come and ask me these questions maybe she might not forever but at least setting that I know that we're setting the foundation now and never did I think that this is where I was going to land but it's not easy because our generation still has a long way to go in the same lot of research that we did for the um, marketing of this book we also asked mothers if they knew the difference between their vagina and their vulva and and we said and please don't google in brackets please don't google just be honest no judgment 40% didn't know the difference. If you don't know the difference between the outside of your female, you know, private parts and the inside, how are you supposed to teach your daughter that Mm. as well? So, you know, we've got still got a long way to go, but I really do feel that we are making it, you know, better. Education is certainly better than what you and I had, but I still think the responsibility is for us as as parents, not leaving it to school. I think the key word that you said there is, is trust, is being able to build that level of trust with our kids so that they can have that conversation and, you know, maybe perhaps interrupting some of the patterns that were passed down to us, you know, around the shame and guilt about some of these taboo subjects. Um, I know me personally, my son's six and a half, um, and uh, recently, you know, he started exploring his own body uh, in a very, um, uh, in a very, um, yeah, in a very energetic way, in a very normal way, but in a very, but most people would look at that and go, wow, that's, and I would remember thinking myself, wow, that's, that's young to be, exploring yourself and I walked into his bedroom the other day and he's like dad get out dad get out and I I you know I quickly shut the door I'm like fucking hell we're not there already are we uh and then I, I said oh okay mate I'll just wait until you get yourself together uh let me know when I can come in and then like literally five minutes later he's like okay you can come in and I came in I was like oh how you going buddy and you know we, we started having the conversation and I was like oh so you're exploring your body he goes yeah I am and it feels so good daddy it feels so good look you can touch it. And I'm like, no, nope, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to touch it, but I'm glad it feels good. But I'm just curious, yeah. you know, have you been exploring? And he goes, yeah, I've been playing mummies and daddies. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, here we go. And I was like, where's this going to go? And I was like, so where do you say mummies and dad? But what was interesting was my desire to respond, not my desire to listen, my desire to respond and go, oh, hang on, mate. Well, what is it when you say, you know, to actually rather than converse was actually my initial response was to govern. Now, I'm really grateful that I had that awareness that when it came up and I didn't govern, I was like, just fucking listen here. You're literally creating trust roots as we speak. 
and I started to explore what the things meant to him. And they clearly meant something completely different to the six and a half year old than they meant to me. Mummies and daddies to him was pretending to cook. Um, but it was interesting how, <laughs> for real, but it was interesting how he contextualized it with exploring his own body. But it was at that point that I realized in that conversation, wow, it really is such a fine line for our ability to develop that trust but also maintain that trust because it is so fragile and kids are so easily affected by our visceral and emotional responses as to, you know, what, what is shameful, what is humiliating, what, you know, what is, what, what should we be embarrassed about? And I literally saw within myself that whole scene playing out in a completely different way and me implanting traumas around body shame and sexual shame. But it was so interesting to see those parallels running out. So when you have the conversations with parents around, well, look, it starts with us. You've got to have a chat with your kids. Let's be honest. Most parents don't have the fucking trust of their kids. How do you have the conversation around? Well, the first thing, because it's like, we've well, got to have a conversation with the kids. It's like, well, okay, great. I'll talk to them. But do you sometimes talk to them about, okay, you've got to have this conversation, but please understand the, effective, the effectiveness of that conversation will be ultimately determined by the level of trust that you had. Here's a few exercises that you should engage with to build trust first before having that conversation. Is that, do you play, do you play into that at all? Or is, am I just like hoping, yeah, am I in Nirvana right I now? Again, no, <laughs> I think again, it's actually having the facts yeah. and just sticking to facts sometimes. It's not, like I said, you've had an emotional experience about all of this, especially when let's say coming to being intimate and having sex. You've got many emotional, you know, experiences. You know how that's felt. A 13 or 14-year-old that's just asking these questions and you're having these conversations with doesn't. But don't think that they're not curious about it. Don't think that if you can't find a way to connect with them, they're not going to jump on the internet and go and Google that. Yeah, right. And don't think they're not doing it either. Yeah. That's the other thing. The other thing that we do as parents is like, oh, not my kids. My kids don't do that. Let's just assume that at some point they are going to and that's why we have this obligation and responsibility to be across that, to be making sure that they're being responsible, that they have enough information. There's a chapter in my book that actually says, talks about should I be having sex? And this is, I think, the one thing that I know definitely I never had this conversation with my, I went, I went to a Catholic school. It's actually not appropriate to have sex. So, um, and this is the other thing that I find people, I will say to people, oh, I'd love my book to be in your school. And parents will say, oh, I know my kids go to a Catholic school. And I'll be like, uh, newsflash, their anatomy is actually the same as every other child on the planet. Just because they go to a, a school that's of religious origin that's re irrelevant. Mm. It's, it's irrelevant. I had someone the other day tell me that their children are still being taught at a, at a, at a high school level that um, you don't need to have sex to have a baby because that's what happened to, to Mary. And it's like, come on, please. Like that is just, let's just, who's making these decisions? Who's making these decisions that fundamentally are damaging for our younger generation? Because that's that's not true, you know. So I think we need to be mindful of that and I think we have to find a way. It's our responsibility to connect with our children anyway. And the first part is just starting to talk about it. And I'm, for some of you, that'll be fine. You'll be like, yep, we're doing that. And for others, it's like, Ugh, how do I do that? But really trying to, you know, have an open door policy, invite them in, tell them that you want to help them, that you want to be answering their questions and support them. And, and you know, or 
again, we wrote the book because give them the book and then say, let's talk about it after all, read it together. You know, I'm not letting Olivia read it yet because she's not even asking questions about sex. So I don't want her to look at that chapter and then go, hang on a minute, I want to be able to have those conversations. She's busting to read the book. She's read certain parts of it, but I know she's not mature enough to understand. I know that. Mm. But that's because I've been doing that with her the whole way. And it's never too late either. You know, if you're you're listening and you've got a 16 or 17-year-old, just start to have conversations, sit with them. They, they want to generally, yes, okay, initially, oh, it's embarrassing, shut up, mum, I don't want to talk about it. But the more that you can earn their trust and respect mm. again, the more they're going to come to you. It's just about sitting and spending time. It's spending time. There's no magic solution for it and, and in your way. And hopefully most of us know our children's, you know, language when it comes to how to communicate with them. Um, and if not, well, then you need to go on a path of how to learning how to do that. And it extends beyond me. Is this something that is usually you encourage parents to have as a whole family conversation or because of the sensitive nature of it? Is it something that is normally isolated to the, the child or the, the, or the kids that are involved? Um, or do you encourage families to have open table, open, open discussions at the dinner table about it? We're all different. We've all got different families and we've all got different dynamics. But you know what? We don't actually hold anything back from Geordie, my son. He's eight. So whenever we're talking to Olivia about something, Geordie's normally around somewhere. The conversation's not directed at him. But he's he's probably listening on some level. But he's not really listening. It's, he doesn't get it. He's like, oh, I don't know, whatever. You, he came to me not long ago and did ask me, Mum, what's a, what is a period? Um, but And we've been having this conversation for years. But, again, I think kids hear things when they're ready. Mm. When they're ready yeah. to ask the question, when they're ready to learn, they'll ask you the question. So be ready to answer it with the facts mm. like you did and but also be able to have that awareness that I'm not having to fix this is not about a solution this is just about information to empower you not just now for for the rest of your life so I think that each family dynamic will be different but kids only hear what they, what they hear when they're ready to I think and it seems to me like one of the most the central things we've talked about here is education um and it just so happens you wrote a book. <laughs> We're like, someone needs to write a book about this. So tell us about the book. Yeah, so Beautiful You came out last year and I have to say it's been, I, it, was, I, it was a very hard book to write because I'm writing as a, obviously, a health expert, but I want to be able to relate to 14-year-olds. Mm. And so I had to kind of think back to, what that was like for me and how I could what it's basically the book that I wish I had when I was 14 yeah right. I wrote it for the 14 year old me yeah right and so you know that wasn't easy and then I'm actually so proud of the finished product I think it's really interactive it's really it's heavy where it needs to be heavy and it's light where it needs to be light and it's something that actually the feedback has been why are you marketing this to young women it should be for all women because wow. so many of us don't actually understand ourselves and that's beautiful feedback um, but it has been the hardest thing to market because no teenager is going to the bookshop looking for a book on their sexual or reproductive health. Their parents are going to go and look for that. So where does a book like this sit in a category? Mm. It doesn't have a category. And so what I thought was a gap in the market turned out to be a really friggin' big gap in the market that it can't actually be marketed because people don't like to think outside the box and go, oh, well, where would we put this book on a bookshelf? So 
it's, you know, I'm certainly not um, finished with the crusade of helping this, and I, I just want to keep on talking about it because I think it's so important for our long term really long term health as, as, women, especially yeah. as we start looking at multi generational health. Because I think oftentimes we look at health in terms of where we are in that moment right now, and I think when we look at you know contraception, we really are talking about multi generational health because of the 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 potential impacts where and again correct me if i'm wrong here but the potential impacts that long-term contraception can actually have at a genetic level that can be passed down correct absolutely well at any one time you've got two generations within a woman mm. it's like her baby and that then mm. her baby so or my baby and her baby so yeah that is passed down absolutely and then we've got the other end of the scale Kerwin, where there are women that have been on the pill for a really long time their hormones never recover and then they need to use ivf and that's another whole issue with fertility yeah. and their children and their, their children, children. Yeah. so we just need to bring logic back into this conversation I think that's what really lacks. It's like, oh, that's okay. If you can't fall pregnant, there's another way of doing that. And, yeah, thank goodness for assisted conception methods that allow us to have children. But that's not an easy road either. And I think that's a misconception that a lot of people think, oh, well, if I can't fall pregnant, I'm just going to have IVF. Not always easy. Mm. Not You know, we help women in the clinic here, the ones that they are doing multiple IVF transfers because it's just not working. And why is it not working? It's because the, the foundation, their hormones have never had the chance to work properly mm. or they were never fixed at the very beginning where they could have been. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing that we need to realise is that not only is the obligation of our, our understanding ourselves better but it's a, about us actually being healthy and being able to have children and so on and so on so it's such a big broad spectrum of, of you know issues if we don't look after it from the beginning Nat as strange as this might sound coming from a man I could talk to you all day about hormones and contraception um, <laughs> it's a little bit weird, but I'm a bit of a weird all the time. But uh, listen, where can people find out more about you, more about the book? Sorry? Where can people oh, find out more about you, more about the book? Yeah, great. Um, Nat Kringudis everywhere, whether it's socials or um, website, it's all it's all there. And I'm all sure the that um, you'll put a link somewhere because Absolutely. my name is up there with Snuffleupagus. So um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I, I just love to interact with people on social media if you're finding that you are like oh i think i have a hormone imbalance but i'm not sure um definitely jump on my website there's the most lamest but so accurate um little worksheet that you can look at to work out what your hormone imbalance might be yeah, right. and it's not going to give you all the answers but it's going to allow you to become curious and go oh actually now i know now you've given me some direction now i know maybe i might have endometriosis or pcos or too much estrogen or whatever it might be and there's no one way it's just your way but you've got to work out what that might be and and the way you do that is with as much information as you possibly can get Nat, you're absolutely awesome thank you so much for your time and i can't wait until we get <laughs> this one will not be hacked by china or russia this one will be out very shortly uh, and i look forward to our follow-up thank you so much nat awesome thank you, thank you. bye this episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. 
There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com, and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.